listening to the Broadcast Basement On Demand Radio Network. It's the podcast in the Broadcast Basement. Broadcastbasement.com. Welcome to episode 81 of Cinemental. How can you talk if you haven't got a brain? I don't know. But some people without brains do an awful lot of talking. Then why don't you kiss me like everybody else does? How about new? The thing is, Bob, it's not that I'm lazy. It's that I just don't care. I came here like this so you'll know my word of death is true. And that my word of life is then true. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Movie Podcast that we can only hope you enjoy listening to as much as we enjoy making. My name is Stephen Hovicki, and as always, I'm here with my co-host, Asan Godwin, and Latham Conger III. Our returning guest tonight is an award-winning film director, playwright, novelist, screenwriter, and musician who has created dramas for the BBC, Sci-Fi Channel, and NPR, mostly focused on the horror genre. Just do a search for his work on Amazon, and you won't be disappointed. As a musician, he has dozens of releases from pop to noise to soundtracks, and he's the founder of Phantom Soundtracks, a company that releases soundtracks to non-existent films, which I still love the idea of, including the award-winning score for the Chrysalis, a.k.a. Battle Apocalypse. Darren Callahan, welcome back to Cinemental. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be back. Um, so uh, let's go ahead and suffer from consumption. Who would like to start us off, Latham or Hassan? I'll go. Um, I didn't watch much, but uh, I obviously watched both movies for the podcast, which I had not seen before. So they were first time viewings Um, for both of them. I'm sorry for both both of them. them. I'd seen neither. Okay, Um, cool. uh, I did watch two movies, one I had seen before, one I had not. Um, Anytime Netflix like adds movies that I've seen before and I'm doing something else. I like to put, I don't like putting on movies I haven't seen in the background. I like putting on ones that I have seen uh, for, you know, I don't want to have a first time viewing where I'm doing something different. So uh, Netflix has Rain Man and I had not seen Rain Man in a long time. And, you know, I, I loved it. I, I have it highly rated and I was wondering if it would, you know, hold up to where I had originally put it back when I saw it originally in 1988 and then, you know, I saw it probably a couple of times after that, but um, basically what it came down to was I got no work done because I simply ended up just watching the movie. <laughs> well, uh, that tells you, that gives you your answer right there. <laughs> it's, it's just fantastic in, in how it hammers its point home. And you always think there's too much of what Dustin Hoffman's doing in the movie and too much of, Tom Cruise, not getting it, not getting it, not getting it, but it's just the right amount. And it's, it's a fantastic drama. Most, most people have seen it. I'm sure anyone listening to this probably has seen it, but have seen it. But if you are one of those few that have not, uh, it's a must watch and uh, you know, it's, it's brilliant on all levels and Cruise is as good as Hoffman. I've always said that in that movie and uh, uh, watching it this time, he, he certainly still is. So that was one. The, uh, the movie I had not seen uh, is called A Map of Tiny Perfect Things, which is on Amazon, and it is a time loop movie. 
Have you guys heard of it or seen it or anything? No, you all seem very all. silent about this. Yeah, never even um, heard of this. It's it's a Groundhog Day for teens. Uh, not teens, maybe a little bit beyond that. Um, it's a love story, and it's got oh, that's recent. Yeah, it's, though, it's right? very recent. Yeah, someone recommend twenty twenty. I think you're right. Yeah, it was definitely last year. I've heard of it. I just uh, I I heard about it, but I never watched it. Or, but I know from your description, I, I remember it. So I'm sorry about that. No, but. yeah, it's yeah, and that's exactly how I felt before. I you know I was rec- I heard about it, then it was recommended to me. Someone told me I love it. Um, the two the two leads are fantastic. Uh, they've probably been in other teen stuff or movies I haven't seen lately, but I don't know who they are. Uh, which is really silly for me to even bring up, but uh, the only <laughs> the only actress in the movie that I recognized was Georgia Fox from um, Oh sure uh, CSI. CSI. Uh, she plays a small role in it, and uh, it's just a unique. It's a unique. It's got two unique plot devices in it. I haven't seen done in a time travel movie that were really cool, uh, but it's a very light movie. It's almost like. A TV movie, but it's really well directed. It's very deliberate. And the lead actor has to do a lot of uh, timing acting where something falls. He's got to catch it. Something happens. He's got to move out of the way. And there are these long takes. So it's not just editing that gets this stuff done. There's one huge long take at the beginning where he goes through this whole process of going through breakfast that he's obviously done millions of times before. And he nails everything, and it's really cool. So it's a fun movie to watch, and it's it's uh, well worth it, especially if you have Amazon Prime because it's free. So, uh, um, and that's uh, that's all I watch for movies, uh, TV. We just started third season of VR, uh, which we're I you know I love watching it again, and Amaya's hooked on it. So my daughter really loves it. And uh, we've almost finished Fuller House, so I won't be mentioning that anymore soon, which probably will be to the delight of... Oh, oh I thought you were done with that. We're almost done. Uh, we got two more two more episodes and we'll be finished. And okay. uh, Forensic Files, and uh, that's it. So I don't really have anything else. Hassan? I watched Justice League. I watched it that night, as a matter of fact. I know. You told me the next morning. He's like, I stayed up and watched the whole thing. It was was crazy. Um, Me and and Hassan stayed up and chatted, and it was, what, 5 o'clock before we got off? Yeah, 5, almost 6 o'clock in the morning. And then I we got off, and then, because we were joking about it, we were like, we kept reloading it on our screens to see when it would actually show up. And he's like, oh, there it is. And it's like, we just kept talking. And then he texted me like 9 o'clock in the morning. I, I was getting up the next morning he's like i stayed up for the whole thing (laughs) (laughs) watch the whole stupid thing um and yeah and what's funny is i got off the line telling you i'm going to bed i'm not even gonna watch this thing and then i soon as soon as i got off and it was just sitting there i just went and it was yeah uh uh-huh and i was stuck um i watched uh winter soldier falcon and winter soldier oh is that i meant to yeah Yeah. launched friday i think one episode right friday Yes, yes, only one episode. Yeah, I watched uh, four or five episodes of uh, Ron Moore's uh, Battlestar Galactica for no reason. Which four? <laughs> well, I mean, randomly or from beginning? These are the Pegasus uh, episodes. No, I don't. I haven't watched. That. I don't know. What well, that then, means. then you had a particular yeah, story arc within one of the seasons. 
I don't know if you're restarting it or just picking six in the middle. There's another Battlestar called the Battlestar Pegasus, and they find it partway oh. through their journey. Gotcha. And uh, the, the captain of the Pegasus is uh, um, Michelle, Michelle Forbes from uh Oh, Ensign Row. Ensign Row. Yeah. And uh, it's, uh, you know, because it's a Ron Moore Battlestar Galactica, of course, there's disharmony and violence, you know, <laughs> so... Which is basically the, the 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 byline for the entire show, um, but I just watched those because I was curious. I'm not a big fan of that show. I think it's a I think it's well done. Um, I think it has some beautiful uh, special effects, and it's you know it's it's, it's revolutionary for uh, sci- science fiction television, which is the precursor to uh, things like The Expanse, you know, which I think is a much more cohesive and better story than Battlestar Galactica, but. Um, but there's some good stuff in it. So every now and then I get attracted to, you know, one or two of their story arcs. So that's what uh, that's, okay. that, I watched that. I watched another TV show. It's an old TV show. So it was a rewatch of it's called Kiss Me First. It's from the BBC. Weird, weird. I can't even describe it. You'd have to look it up. I can't even. We'd be here like 10, like two and a half hours if I tried to describe it. It was really Is weird. It a TV show? Yes. It's from the BBC. How many seasons? One season. So there's only like six episodes. Something like that, yeah. Okay. What year? I don't know, 2017? Oh, so it's not that old. Okay. No, yeah. It's old. Kiss Me First? Mm Mm-hmm. Okay. Very strange. And then I read the book, and the book is nothing like the show. So, I mean, (laughs) I don't even know where they got the show from. But anyway, it doesn't matter. Uh, Oh, boy. Uh... I watched a, <laughs> I watched a 1993 movie called Nights. I watched that last night with some, with some other friends of mine. Nights with an N or Nights with a K? Nights with a K. Okay. Starring Kathy Long. Post-apocalyptic movie. Really low, way low budget. We're talking, <laughs> uh, we're talking Six String Samurai budget. Uh, nice. Uh, post-apocalyptic movie with Kathy Long, who is an international kickboxing champion back in the 90s oh okay and uh sport of the future <laughs> huh kickboxing sport of the future that's okay. right all right and uh <laughs> was a story about cyborgs cyborgs had taken over the earth and they and they ran out of fuel so they started drinking people's bloods to 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 continue to fuel themselves and there's there's one cyborg that that got sent from some mysterious place undisclosed place to kill all the other cyborgs and that cyborg was played by post blade chris christopherson beautiful <laughs> and wow. uh straight off millennium right <clears throat> yes right yes so and was was he clean looking or ratty around looking? that time i think nah, he was he was he was clean shaven but okay. he was he still looked like chris christopherson you know right, right. who never looked young even when he was young um <laughs> I love Chris Christopherson. No offense, because I don't want him coming after me. Because he, I, I'm, I'm still convinced he could kick my ass. But, uh, but yeah, he was Chris Christopherson in a in a post apocalyptic cyborg movie, which just is just the greatest thing ever. And the bad guy, I give you, I give you a guess who the bad guy is. The main cyborg, Michael Ironside. Rucker no, Hauer. close. Who'd you say, Darren? Rucker Hauer. No, not Rucker Hauer. 
But you're in the you're in the ballpark for '90s villains. Oh, uh, uh, Christopher Lambert. No, villains, villains. Oh, uh, (laughs) Dennis Hopper. No. You're gonna be mad. Give us the initials. You're gonna be mad at yourself when I mention it. I know. It's so obvious. Jurgen Prock now. (laughs) Dolph Lundgren. Dolph never plays the bad guy. What? <clears throat> Rocky Four. So anyway, the bad guy is played by Lance Henriksen, and uh, <laughs> the, 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 the main cyborg. And I don't know why that wasn't like one of the first, you know, names you mentioned. Because you uh, know what, I never think of Lance playing a bad guy. I see him as a good <laughs> guy. Yeah. He's always a bad guy. No, he's not always. A <laughs> he's bad guy. he's perennially bad guy. The only two times ah. he's he, in Millennium, he was a good guy. Um, Alien? Terminator, he was a good guy. Alien, Alien. he was a good guy. Name another good guy, Lance Hendrickson. Is he the bad guy in Hard Target, that John Woo movie? Or am I thinking of someone else? I don't even remember. He might be. Dog Day Afternoon. Dog. Wow, okay. It's very early. Yeah, but yeah. how, dig this, wow, how deep Darren, did you have to dig that during that? In the original Terminator. Put that shovel away, sir. <laughs> He's a good guy. This is a, this is a family show. Stop. Lance, is, dirt Lance has definitely been a good guy more than he's been a bad guy. He's not good or bad in two. Okay. All right. Like you got near dark. You got. Um, it's not bad. You got, he's uh, just a vampire. Uh, he's, yeah. Okay. He's a good guy in that. He's a. Uh, you got. Uh, Stone he's not Cold. bad. He's just fed that way. You got. <laughs> uh, never mind. So. Um, I have the energy this far. Um. <laughs> I think that's it. And then I watched the two because I because I knew I was probably going to be knocked flat today. I watched the two movies yesterday. Oh, okay. So um, ahead of the game, you I are. I think that's I think that's it. Okay. Yeah. Darren, right. Darren, what do you got? Um, you watched recently. You know, it's funny. I'm I'm known as a horror guy. The films tonight are horror uh, movies. Uh, the but I do watch other stuff. So we all do. Uh, yeah. I watched uh, the only I think the only recent horror film I saw was Scanners 2 because Scanners 2 and 3 are now on Prime. I've never seen either sequel and oh. Scanners 2 was actually not the tragedy I thought it would be. It's certainly not Scanners, but it was fine. Who directed that, Darren? Still never seen that movie. Canadian Nobodies, you know, <laughs> but it, it was it was OK. But um, I watched uh, The Pick of Destiny. Tenacious D movie. <laughs> oh, yeah, that, I've never seen Netflix that. Now. Oh, my like gosh. That one's, that one's pretty funny. Very funny, very underrated. Uh, uh, you know, I, I, you don't know this about me, but as far as comedy goes, I like it when it's it's a complete mashup of super intelligent, weird reference stuff and people falling over couches. Like, just I don't know the, <laughs> the, the intersection that, of those two. That definitely describes Pick a Destiny. <laughs> oh, so you mean like basketball? Well, I've never seen basketball. Basketball is a little on the nose. Pick a Destiny is very is a lot of it is 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 a lot of slapstick well a lot of subtle genius jokes uh disguised as slapstick humor it's kind of hard to describe it's like a mel brooks uh sort of uh thing where both worlds collide nicely and plus there's a lot of music that's pretty funny oh yeah the written by them yeah yeah which is fantastic have you guys seen them live uh not no not live i've seen shows i've seen recordings of them live but i haven't seen them live personally they were at Lollapalooza two year, two year, nine, 2019, and, and I, I saw them there. 
And that I've was, seen their were... rhythm section twice. As another man. Yeah, <laughs> they were they were they, they were uh, the drummer and the and the uh, the bass player uh, were the part of the backing band for John Carpenter's touring band. Oh, nice. Wow. Cool. Yep. Um, well, hey, dude, to give you a little inside uh, Hollywood dirt. Um, so I was uh, I had a, I had a script that was nominated for uh, best screenplay uh, at Shriekfest and sitting next to me at the awards table was um, was Kyle Gass because he was nominated for a movie called Naw. I think when it came out, it wasn't called Naw, but at the festival it was called Naw. And he was excellent in it. And then Sally Kellerman. So the three of us were at the table. Mm-hmm. Now, I didn't talk that much to Kyle Gass. I don't know why. I just didn't. Um, and I didn't hadn't seen Pick a Destiny yet, so I couldn't talk about it. So that's one 50% of uh, Tenacious D. And then Jack Black, um, we've actually seen twice here in town. He was at an art gallery that my son was at. And then uh, when we were trick-or-treating, he happened to be next to us with his family. Trick-or-treating. Oh, wow. Very nice. He was dressed as a king. Um, he was very nice to everybody and all the children. I didn't talk to him, but uh, uh, <laughs> people came. That up seems and, to be your your modus operandi when meeting famous people. You know, I, I, I'm not, I got nothing to say to you. <laughs> I really, uh, I I don't know if I get star shy or whatever, but I really like. It's the same as like I don't actually know this person. <laughs> so uh, it, I just don't feel comfortable approaching a stranger. Now, if I'm working on a project with somebody who's known or right. I'm sitting at an autograph table next to somebody and I'll talk to them because right. we've got something boat. in common. Like when I was on a, a table with Jennifer Rubin from Nightmare on Elm Street 3, you know, we're sitting next to each other for four hours. I'm going to have a conversation. But if I ran into Jennifer Rubin on the street prior to that, I wouldn't like, what would I say? Yeah, I don't know. Gotcha. So, yeah. Fair enough. Um, uh, I also uh, watched Lars and the Real Girl. That was really good. Oh, oh I've seen okay. that. Yeah, it's on my list. It's uh, you know, my wife was really a champion of it, and it took us another twelve years for her to convince me and my daughter to watch it. But um, <laughs> I, I was sorry I waited so long. It was really, really charming. And um, and then I've yeah, been watching. A, what's sorry, his name? Uh, um, Ryan Ryan Gosling. Yeah, it's one of his first movies that he's ever in. Unless I read your mind, you were probably talking about the director or somebody. Yeah, never mind. <laughs> oh, you, right. your assumption was fine. Okay. <laughs> your assumption's probably smarter than what I was actually going to say, so we'll, we'll keep leave it there. I I, uh, I like Ryan Gosling, and not from a, a notebook kind of way, but um, I love I love him in the Nice Guys and Big Short. You know, yeah. I, just, I thought he was great in uh, Blade Runner. You know, Blade Runner. I agree. Great. Thought he found his, uh, he's kind of found a good niche in there. Um, He's super cool. Um, And uh, for TV stuff, I told you this before, I hate episodic TV, but I have been watching The Prisoner, the 60s. uh, Oh, so good. Information. (laughs) I have a information of a a good friend of mine. That's his, one of his, his top line favorite things of all time is, is the, is the prisoner. Hands it's down. unique definitely unique and uh that i showed my daughter she didn't watch the episode with me but i showed her the first ball attack the, the oh yeah what, what's it called i can't remember the name of the ball but um uh the the cent- century or uh, centurion yeah. right centurion, um, yeah the yeah. first attack and i was like when i was young and saw this on pbs late at night because I think it ran 11 p.m. on a Saturday. And so I watched it when I was like six. I'm like, this terrified me. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like a helium ball that they put a string on him. So yeah, then wherever right. he went, it followed him, you know, but it, but it was still, it's effective. <laughs> that's funny. So that's, that's pretty much it for me. 
Right. Uh, yes, I believe we've suffered enough. So for Darren's uh, Darren's main pick tonight, we have Pontypool. This is Radio 660, The Beacon. I'm Grant Mazzy, and as always, I'll be taking no prisoners. And take a look outside. A big, cold, freaking kill me now weather front. We go to Ken Loney in the Sunshine Chopper. Ken. Ken? Are you there, Ken? This building has just exploded. Oh, my God! Ah, hundreds of people are, are getting killed down there. Soldiers have set up roadblocks. Everybody has to stay inside at all times. They cut into our signal. directed by Bruce McDonald with a running time of 93 minutes. A disgruntled DJ in a remote Canadian town is made aware of a growing incident, a virus being passed around by an unknown vector and seeks to understand it, which may just be his undoing. Darren, why'd you pick Pontypool? Well, Pontypool is an interesting film to me, but it's really how it came to me. Um, In 2008 or nine, there was the premiere in Chicago, and I assume the U.S., of the movie Pontypool. It was part of a um, 24-hour horror movie festival at the Music Box called the, the Music Box Massacre. Nice. And, um, you know, I, I'm a horror guy. I knew most of the films on it. But not only did I, had I never heard of Pontypool, no one in the theater had heard of Pontypool. <laughs> um, and, and it was a terrible title. You know, it's, it's a place, it's a city in Ontario and also a city in Wales that the city in Ontario was named after. But I didn't know that. So I went to the bathroom and I'm at a urinal and there's the poster of the running order and it says coming up next is Pontypool. And I'm like, okay, this is the point where I bail and go to the bar next door and have a drink and come back. <laughs> and when I left the restroom, you could tell everybody was doing that. So the promoters are on the PA And they're basically saying, do not leave. Please don't leave. You're going to miss the best zombie movie of the last 20 years. You cannot leave. I know. And they're, they're even saying things like, I know it's a terrible title. Um, (laughs) They're, they're really just begging people to stay. And I knew the promoter and uh, I, I respected their curation of such things. And I was like, Okay, I'll give it I'll give it a half hour. So I went back into the music box theater and sat down as did several hundred more people. They did lose about a third of the audience, but those people came back and the the movie started and uh, you know, it, it there is it is a good beginning to a movie, but it is not where it goes. So as the movie gets deeper and deeper and starts to mine that vein, I looked around and the theater was enraptured. They were dead silent they were they not only were pissing on this movie 45 minutes ago now there was no way they were leaving they were not going to the bar (laughs) they were not going to the restroom not going anywhere this was as promised really different uh and they um uh, you know the film sort of breaks its spell a little bit we could talk about that towards the last you know portion of the movie but for a period there i have never been in an audience that was so into a movie and they were it was almost like, you know, when you used to come across a movie on, on 
television just randomly because you had to watch it because there were five channels and you suddenly <laughs> realize, man, this is, this is really good. What's the name of this? I came in halfway. What's going on? You know? Uh, and then you tell somebody about it. You can't even remember the title to it or something. It was one of those movies where you're like in on the ground floor, but you're almost so ground floor that you're like, what, who made this? Why is it's like, this who can I even tell about it? Because I can't even tell them where to watch it. <laughs> yeah. Cause it was at this festival, one show only never to be seen again. Well, the music box made, um, uh, the choice to show it again, two weeks later, it was not on the schedule. They did a nice. surprise showing of it that sold out. Everyone came back and I was like, Oh my God, this is going to be a groundswell. This movie is going to be a classic zombie movie. And, um, the, the thing about it is then it completely vanished. Yeah. Um, you couldn't, it wasn't on any premium provider. It wasn't on Blu-ray or DVD. It was an, it was almost like this half remembered dream. And I, and I wrote an article uh, about the movie. So I'm cribbing from that a little bit, but when I was a kid, I used to come across the movie bedazzled with Dudley Moore. Oh yeah. And, but I never caught the credits. I never, and I never had a TV guide. I never knew what the movie was. I was always like, what the hell is this movie? I keep stumbling across <laughs> magically. And I had the same experience with Pontypool. I was surfing cable, came across the IFC channel halfway through the movie one night at midnight. I was like, this is that damn movie from two years ago. <laughs> so apparently IFC had bought it for distribution. And yeah. then later, the only DVD available for like four years of it was by Blockbuster. They were doing their own special line of horror things. That's the one I know we were talking about Blockbuster. Yeah. I, I, that's that's the DVD I have is is the blockbuster special edition limited print of it. Yeah. Uh, um, and when I recommended it for this podcast, uh, you know, I was like, is it even still available? Because it dips in and out. It was on Netflix for a long time and then yes. disappeared and then came back and then was on Prime and then disappeared. I looked and it was nowhere to be found. And I was like, Steve, man, did I recommend a wrong movie for you? Because it's not I don't know if anybody can watch it. Like the only place I was able to track that it was available as a streaming option is you can buy it on Apple TV through iTunes, but that's, that's it. It's not available on any other streaming service that I could find. So it, it comes and goes in the way that movies used to movies did not have a permanent guaranteed existence. Right. Uh, and I think that is something about the film that also makes it kind of cool. It is like a curio, uh, even though it's so good and doesn't deserve marginalization or being forgotten. It is, uh, it is the thing that you find the needle in a haystack movie that you find. And it was based on a novel novels out of print. It became a, a stage play, uh, in Chicago. And we can talk a little bit about that later. Um, that was a hit and hasn't been remounted. And it was an audio drama for the Canadian broadcast company. And yeah. it's, uh, uh, it's not available on the web as something I could find to listen to. And I'm like, what is it about this thing that keeps vanishing this gold? Uh, anyway, this is why I chose it because I'm basically still trying to turn people on to this damn 10 year old zombie movie. Like I, like I said uh, <clears throat> early on when we were, when we were talking uh, just ourselves, uh, this is a movie that another one like Session 9 that I have been championing since the very first time I ever saw it. And you're exactly right. It was on Netflix for a long time. And that's why when you, when you suggested it, I was just like, oh, yeah, th this is around. And then I started looking and it was like, wait a minute, this isn't anywhere available on any of the streaming services. Like nobody has access to this, which is very strange. But yeah, I... Um, this is 
this is again one of those movies that you know you keep a list horror fans generally keep a list a short list in their heads of films when people ask oh well what's a good horror movie what's a good horror movie to watch well even listen you've always got like the generic top five or ten that like if people haven't seen the exorcist or if you haven't seen alien or if you haven't seen uh you know the universal classics you know they the horror movies are good movies to watch you know what, what what's a good horror you know what's a good horror movie now to watch you know and i always have this list of uh half dozen movies or so that I try and keep in my head. So when people ask me that I can actually give them some sort of like mid eighties, nineties, early thousands films to go and check out, you know, stuff that was a little under the radar. This is definitely one of them. Uh, This was the third time I've seen the film. Uh, I've watched it twice previously. Uh, I've enjoyed it every time I've seen it. I think it's a super fun watch. Stephen McHattie, absolutely kills it in this role uh I, I was looking him up on imdb i had no idea that he had over 200 acting credits to his name absolutely another another standardized baddie <laughs> yeah he was a, a jerk reporter and watchman that's probably what many people might know him from but i first saw him Boy, he was must have been 20 years old in Grey Lady Down in 1970. Yeah. I noticed that he was in Grey Lady Down, and I'm like, <laughs> I was trying to think of the first thing I ever saw him in, and I noticed he was in an episode of Miami Vice, and I'm like, that has to be the first person, first time I ever noticed him in something, but I, I'm sure I don't remember it. Yeah, he's he's just he's a face. You're like, I know that guy from somewhere. Yes. You never complacent. Yeah. You know, and, and the other cast members are nobodies who did very little thereafter. The director had uh, one other good film uh, for Canadian TV, and that was it. And and the guy who wrote the novel and the script and the play, Tony Burgess, he's still around, and he had one other project that had a little bit of life. But there, it really never became like George Romero who who built upon it. They just yes. this is more like a Blair Witch, where it was a one-time lightning in a bottle thing. Well, Sidney Breyer is actually his wife. Oh, really? I Stephen McHattie's wife, Lisa Hull. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, uh, I'm, I'm anxious to hear. I, I assume Latham and Hassan, neither of you have seen this before. I've nope. seen it before. Oh, you had seen it before. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Latham, why don't you go first then? Well, when it first started and I realized it was going to be a one, mostly a one room movie. Um, well, it's not, but whatever. That's what I thought it was going to be. And, you know, if, if it's going to be a movie about someone broadcasting on the radio i'm going to compare it to talk radio uh because i know it's a completely different movie but it's hard to film something in that context and make it interesting and talk radio is brilliant it's one of my favorite movies of all time and this came close as far as how they filmed it and how they created suspense in one room between three people for a long period of time i was never bored and i always wanted to know what was happening uh, what was going to happen next as as the movie went on. So I thought the, uh, the director did a really good job with that. He was very deliberate with his shots, and that was interesting too. Like, a lot of it was static, but it, when it needed to move to make a point, I really, I really liked that. So it seemed like I had no idea where the story was going. Whoever was making this had, you know, really knew what they were trying to accomplish or what point they're trying to make, so the interest never left me while I was watching, uh, watching the film. I, I don't know what point, I don't think at any point in the film, you feel like this has been done before, especially when you figure out the gist of what's going on. That was really unique. I've never seen a movie 
come up with that idea. I'm not going to blow it here on the podcast either, but the, the gimmick is really unique. Um, I don't see it as a zombie film. I, I think it's, it feels like an art film to me. I mean, it, it really feels like, like it's an, just an independent movie and the zombie part is, is really secondary for the points they're trying to make. What really hit me hard was, this isn't giving too much away, I don't think, but the repeated word thing, I've done that before. I've been driving in my car <laughs> and I just start saying a word and I'm, and then you just focus on it and you're like, you know, refrigerator, refrigerator, refrigerator. Refriger- God, that is such a stupid word. Who came up with that? And then suddenly the word doesn't have that much meaning to you anymore or you write something down or you type it a bunch of times. And then it's like, it, it just doesn't, your mind changes how it's looking at it. So I don't know if that's why they got the idea for this, but I thought that was, I really related to that as well. One of the nice little touches in the movie, I think is when they're having the last dialogue at the end on the radio, uh, when they're broadcasting and they're, and they're saying words back and forth. And she says rhinoceros. And then in one of the last, shots behind her on the desk you see this little rhinoceros statue there yeah they showed it earlier there's a lot of that in the movie if you see it twice yep they showed it earlier too okay so i didn't catch it till the end but i thought that was great uh the two leads are awesome in this movie i guess she's done nothing else as far as i can tell Uh, i didn't look on imdb but um, I mean, maybe things. they did stage work and, and things. I don't want to belittle their career because they may be doing and thriving in, in other forms. Oh, that, but, yeah, but in I terms mean, of like a recognizable filmography, yeah, they don't, she doesn't really have it. And that's a shame because she's killer. Yeah, she's great in this. Everyone's, all the sporting actors, including the third uh, helper in the radio, in the studio, she's great, especially when her scenes get really tough. That's, yeah. I mean, that's been, you know, that's fantastic. It, it keeps your attention the whole time. I wouldn't say I loved it, but I certainly enjoyed it and, and would recommend it to anyone to see just, just for the fact that it's unique. I mean, it's hard to get a unique plot in a unique movie. And this one, I would compare it to this movie that was also on Amazon called The Vast of Night. Did any of you guys see that? No. Yeah, that was the, the one that takes place, the 50s uh, uh, alien scare movie with the radio. Yeah, that yeah. movie did not work as well, but was very similar to this. This was better, I thought, than that. Uh, the one thing I really did not like about this movie was the added scene after the credits. I thought that was... <laughs> uh, I, I just didn't... Not only did I not get it, but I thought it was just needless. It, yeah, it, You could have ended it with all the broadcasts, and maybe I didn't get what was going on, but... You know, uh, apparently that scene has some sort of hidden tie to the novel and the radio play that is very like, aha, but I'm not inside baseball enough on that scene to know it. So to me, too, it just seems like, okay, there's something else, you know, but um, it doesn't add anything to it. It kind of takes stuff away, but word on the street, which I've not gone deep on, is there's some point to it. Um damned if i know what it is though yeah i mean and the it's directed i mean there's color changes there there's you know the snow behind them and then he puts his hand on her mouth i mean there's stuff going on there but i'm sorry it's incomprehensible to what the rest of what's going on unless it's just the same basic theme for people to just shut the fuck up but i i don't (laughs) i I don't know i'm you know like i said i i didn't like that i might have missed something with the missing cat too 
unless that had something to do with also the main plot device and the name of the cat. Yes. That's what it was about. That's what I thought. And then the only other thing I didn't get is what he saw underneath the console. Did I miss what he, he was looking at under the console? No, because that was the initial trigger about the cat story. So he was looking for the cat. Like it would be in the studio? Yes. Yes. Okay. That's that's one theory. The other one I've heard is that he's checking to see if it's even plugged in because uh, at some point he's like, this can't be real. Oh, I uh, see. That makes more sense to me. Oh, okay. Both those, both those theories have been floated. Now I, I should say, if you're a listener out there and you haven't seen the movie, um, uh, there is one thing I can spoil quote unquote, uh, <laughs> that, that won't, uh, it, it won't, it won't destroy the experience and it is on the box and it is in the description everywhere you read, which is, um, you know, this infection that they're reporting on in this talk radio station is, uh, you know, it's talk radio. Uh, so people have talked to talk all the time. Um, it is spread through language, which is really unique. Um, and, and you know, normally you bite somebody or there's spit like in 28 days yes. later, the person gets a spit in the eye, you know, it's a normal <laughs> coronavirus type of infection. This is actually through the auditory means. And um, I won't take it any further for you, but this, the, to have it be talking where the talking is the spreader and and being in a talk radio is just incredibly cool to 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 recognize. So I just want to put that out there for those who haven't, because um, uh, it will help us as we talk about this, yes. uh, about how yeah. they talk and the use of language. But that's on the box, so I feel like I can blow it. Yeah, I mean the the gimmick itself is not necessarily a surprise. How it's executed is what's done so well in the film. Um, and I, and I'll, t- I'll, I'll tell you, Lay, I think this might be of my three viewings of the film. I think this might be the first time that I actually watched the credits all the way through because I don't remember ever seeing that end credit scene before. Uh, so this is the first time because I just I just happened to let it run while I was writing down some notes for myself. And I you know was listening to all the extra talk going on and the, and the news reports and all that kind of stuff that play over the end credits, where which are absolutely worth listening to, because yeah. it can t- it can t- it carries the story forward from the end of the film uh, in an interesting way. It's a it's a great point. I you know the the gimmick behind the film, you know, is like like uh, like Darren said, it's about language itself and how certain words. <laughs> become quote unquote infected and so it's like you could be you could be talking and and, but it's like you don't know what that word might be and so how that's addressed with people and how and what 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 eventually they get caught up on is really interesting to watch as well and and hear i should say because so much of it's done via audio even in the film that you're watching so much of it is handled simply by audio um, I, I found it interesting. I read that one of the original ideas for the filmed version of this, and Latham, you'll your head will explode, and how much you'll probably hate this. But the one of the original concepts for this film was that the author was going to read the story, and you know, at the beginning of the film, where they show the the sort of like wave line of uh of Stephen McHattie's voice that was going to be the only visualization visualization of the entire film and yeah. you were going to you were going to hear Sydney's voice 
but then Laurel would only be referred to in third person. Yeah. yeah. It just would have been, you literally would have been watching a blue line the entire film. Yeah, no, thank you. Uh, I don't, that's not. <laughs> Let's hear what uh, Hassan has there. Yeah, though. Hassan, what'd you uh, think? I thought it was a clever idea. But that was it. <laughs> that was it? That's more. That's a- yeah. And then, and you guys can move on. <laughs> wow. Because we can't really, everything that I didn't like, we can't really talk about because we, you're gonna we are making us? a concerted, <laughs> because we're making a concerted effort not I mean, to spoil I don't it. Know that, I mean, the oh, thing, Darren did that. Are the thing, well, you know, <laughs> and, and giving away the gimmick is not, you know, like he said, is not really spoiling it for anybody because, I mean, honestly, no, I w- I'm talking about giving away like key know, plot components. And I mean, we listen, we've done it before. It's a 13 year old movie. No, it's, All right. It's fine. It, they no. could turn off the podcast when before we could Darren- give a we could give an alert. So um, if you're intrigued at this point, but you uh, don't want to learn more uh, that, that might because there are surprises and twists in, in, in store. Uh, exactly. We get it. Watch the film come back. You can fast yeah. forward 15 minutes to the to the next part. Yeah. <laughs> Go ahead. Hassan. I know what I know what Hassan means though. It's Hassan, do you think the idea is clever, but but after you start thinking about it too much, it doesn't really make any sense? It's not really that. I mean it's a zombie movie, so you, you really shouldn't yeah, but break your brain trying to <laughs> I mean, yeah, I agree, I agree with that, but the, most zombie movies, the transmission of a virus is pretty well defined. This is the concept of how it moves here is a little bit different. It's too abstract. That's like a clever idea that they touched on, but they them they themselves didn't understand the nuances of the idea. So I, they couldn't they couldn't convey it in a manner that we understood what the breakthrough was. Yep. And why I mean you we we were, they did show us how he saved Sydney, but then at the end when they're rolling off, you know, alternative you know, alternative ideas for particular words that they had heard through hearsay or might be trigger words. It, it just doesn't, it doesn't sell as a breakthrough moment. It doesn't really, to me, it was like, all right, I kind of, yeah, I guess. And also there are a couple of moments when they are absolutely trapped in the sound room. And then there are other moments when the zombies just leave you know, because they lured them out and then they were able to walk around freely and then the zombies never come back. I mean, it's just like, that was, that was a perilous moment that had me on the edge. It's like, wow, these guys are they're right outside. Now, how long can that glass hold? And then they lured them out. And then that wasn't a problem anymore. That problem was over. So it, it, I don't know. It, it does really good things. And I enjoyed some of the ideas and I'm not a horror person. So some of the aspects of it, Mm-hmm. We're just not going to work on me, you know. Like I'm like that doesn't make any sense, and that's you know okay. That's a, uh, good gore, I guess, you know. Um, but when stories kind of fall apart, or stories like decide to play fast and loose with uh, with 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 self definition, with defining exactly what it is that I mean, these guys are the heroes of your story, and they're and they're also have the the caveat of being the only people in your story. And they come across a, a, you know, they come across a solution to the problem. And 
they don't define what the solution is really it's very loosely defined and then they get bombed at the end anyway so it's like or, or it, is, it is implied that they're bombed at the end anyway because they're speaking you know because the 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 French Canadians decided to bomb the English speaking Canadians. Um, so fairly ambiguous, uh, I think. I mean, you can assume that's what happened, but it's well, I mean, the, the, the thing goes dark and then you hear an explosion. So, oh, do you? I didn't hear the explosion. So. Oh, yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah, I well, think they yeah. are, they are decimated at the end. And, you know, I got, I got to just full disclosure here. I think the first 15 minutes are interesting, but it's too slow. Then there's this meaty, amazing one hour, maybe an hour 15. And then okay. once they do the Sydney Breyer is alive call and yeah. try to escape from there to the end, I, I have serious doubts. Now, I don't mind the fact that they kind of figure it out, but don't really figure it out or don't really communicate to the audience what the rules are of this plague, because it's the first 90 minutes of the plague. They don't fucking know. Um, and they're just guessing too. And even the doctor is like, what if, maybe if, you know, it feels like the early days of coronavirus where no one really knew what, you know, what the deal was. And I, I like that uh, authenticity that's going on there, but I got to say, uh, on a story perspective, the middle of it is amazing, but the very yeah. beginning's a bit, a bit, uh, slow slog. And then from the Sydney Breyer is alive call to the end, I, it's not satisfying. Whatever's wrong and, with it, it's not satisfying. And full disclosure for anybody who's new to the podcast, you will lose me every time when your story doesn't, when your story stops making sense, I'm, I'm going to, and I'm getting off the boat on purpose. It's not even like I got thrown out. <laughs> I'm just like, out. no, if you don't, if you decide that this story, this, whatever your angle is, isn't important enough to define it to me coherently. And I can, I can allow for the fact that I might, I might just not be swift enough to figure it out. Okay, that's fair. You know, so if someone comes along and explains it to me, that could just change my entire perspective. But if you, as a, you know, like that's why I couldn't stand, um, I'm not going to mention his name. <laughs> David Lynch. Just, no, no, you know. Careful there's, now. There's one guy I hate so deeply that it's it's just it 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 takes on a a life of its own and then you all might be infected with my words and then you'll be repeating his huh <laughs> Lindelof. no it is not Lindelof. there's only one director that made me so mad the director that okay. i took the that i took the dvd out of the the machine and snapped it in half can you, like can I, you give us initials please no <laughs> when we're off the air i will definitely tell you okay. um but but is uh, it everything he's ever done or just whatever you did yes okay yes but there was one movie in particular that was a trigger right <laughs> but right after that i'm like i'm like fuck this guy but uh <laughs> but anyway um yeah as soon as as soon as they the, the first of all the lead-in was you know i, I understand the 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 angle of red herrings and giving you, you know, uh, giving you tidbits that may or may not be a foreshadow, like the strange, uh, the strange look that the girl had when she didn't get a, a Valentine's day card, you know? And then, so there's a strange, she's got a strange attraction to this guy that she's feeling it's unrequited, which is the impression I got, yep. but it's, um, you know, but she's keeping a professional distance and, there's a number of things, but it just kind of doesn't go anywhere. And that's fine. But then it didn't go anywhere 
And then the rest of the film decided, hey, if that's not going anywhere, why should we go somewhere? And then so it just kind of stops as soon as they lure the, the easy way with which they lure the, the, the threat out of the building, you know, and the, the, also there was other things like the, the doctor just came to a window, just opened the window, <laughs> jumped in. They didn't fortify the window or anything like that. And he just then he catches it and then he runs out, you know, and then nothing comes in after him. It's what, just, uh, what did you think of the teapot? It was cute. Um, uh, yeah. And then, you know, the doctor recognizes right away. Oh, this is, this is not good. <laughs> this is a problem, you know? And then that kind of explains a little of it. Like they, they follow noises that yeah. they, you know, they, they follow noises and they mimic noises. And then the doctor's got some kind of, you know, um, theory that they need to attack someone or is they end up vomiting their insides out, you know, okay. They can't pass it along, right? Yeah, somehow. But they don't really explain that they pass it along. They just explain that they just eat people. Because right. <laughs> you, don't, you don't really catch it from, from other zombies. You just, you just stumble onto a word that you say that you understand and then you suddenly have it. That's exactly what he says. When you, you hear the word, it's a trigger word. And when you hear the word and understand it, that's what, that's how you catch it. And I'm, and I'm sitting in my sofa, like what, yeah, <laughs> what do you mean? Be, you it needed tea to be kettle. out more. The, it, it, yeah. What you had to do is sit down for a day and like come up with the rules and parameters more to make it more clear. That's what I listen. Would. In my personal opinion, they should have never, never figured it out. They should have figured out it's in the language somehow. It's being transferred through language, and then that should have been it. And that would have uh, that would have kept the terror going, because then they don't know what to do. They should yeah. also kept the angle where they spoke French to each other, which seemed. And then they they were both well, at least uh, what's his name was not great at French, so yeah. <laughs> you know he kept breaking it for that that work. So you know, after a while, I'm just like these guys had a great idea. And then they got to a certain point in the script and they were like, you know, mulligan and, and they, and they bailed on the script. And then they just said, look, let's just have a melee of ridiculous events and blow everybody up at the end. You know, and you're not, you're not wrong, Hassan. I, uh, um, <laughs> I, I feel that there's some story problems at the end there, but uh, I feel like the journey's still worth it. And the part halfway through the film where they suddenly realize it's only English that's infected and they start all speaking yeah. French because it's a French Canadian movie. Do I'm not like, translate this message. <laughs> oh, that do not when he translates the message and then the last line is don't translate this. I'm like this Which is, should have been the first oh, line but, of the message. I know. You know? <laughs> but it is But anyway. That it's it's funny though that that writing, that that middle section writing, stuff yeah. like that and and stuff like um uh gosh, really anything in that middle section is just at level 10. It's weird that at the end, it drops to level two, three, four, you know? Because um, they didn't know, once they were trapped in that booth, they didn't know how to get them out of there. They wrote themselves in a corner. I'm a writer. I've done that where I'm like, I'm like, shit. Well, that, that's the point where you, you, um, you figure it out. It feels like they maybe they figured it out in the novel and maybe I'm missing something, but in the actual film, I do feel disappointment in that last portion. I won't even say an act because it's not really that long. That's, that's problematic, but uh, I leave it a little bit. Um, uh, they don't explain, they don't explain how the zombies got in. You, you imagine that the girl let them in, right? But they don't really explain that they, they, they you do see them break the windows or whatever, mm -hmm. but they don't really explain how they got into the building. OK, so then they lure them out of the building. 
And then they figure this, this, uh, you know, this, this, they have this revelation of how to fix things. And then the girl is, what's her name? Sydney is outside dictating to him in the booth, but she could be in there with him. Like she's not safe out there. Like, how is it that they feel that that area is secure enough for them to be able to, it's just for me, like if you take the threat away, then all, now I'm, all I'm watching you do is try to be clever in getting yourself out of the trap that you're in. You know, you got to keep me from thinking my way around your story. You got to keep the pressure on. And at one point they just took the pressure off and then they started making all these like French jokes and whatever. So that's and I, you know, this is a, this is another thing. This is an aspect of the show that I'm very uncomfortable with because I'm the one who goes last after three people just praised it. <laughs> And I'm like, yeah, but we are Fuck this we are, movie. We, <laughs> no, but, but you're, but you're not. And Latham often is fuck this movie. And I've been fuck this movie. But so, I, just, I mean, I feel, I feel, I'm, I, I feel it's. I'm not adding anything um, constructive to it. That's a B. I understand that there's since I'm not a horror guy. There's aspects of the genre that I just don't get. Like I just don't understand that this is a this is a thing. You know, this is a meme where this is a particular caveat that I'm just not familiar with. You know, it's funny. So, you and I talked about that last time I was on. And and yes, there's a whole uh, history sometimes behind it. I don't know if that's the case here, except for one big exception. Um, when this movie came out in 2009, me and everyone at that Music Box Massacre Film Fest, we were pretty sick of zombies. They were, <laughs> they had kind of had their day. Yeah. And George Romero, well, we're totally into George Romero. And uh, um, uh, there's obviously, you know, good things about Zombieland and uh, uh, many, many sleeping corpses lie. There's many innovations in the genre. But at 2009, this audience was like, it's a zombie movie. Who cares? What more can <laughs> yeah. you do to it? And then this movie came up yeah. and we're like, Ah, there's something is new. Some, yeah, there's something. What's interesting is Day of the Dead, the the remake of Day of the Dead, that's tr that tried to capitalize off of the <clears throat> Zack Snyder Day of the Dead, of the Dead, almost has the same setup where they're all caught up and thinking of, in a in a radio station, like towards the really? you know towards the end. Yeah. yeah, not nearly as cleverly done by any stretch of the imagination, and it is just plain zombies. And, you know, it, you know, all the all the applicable bells and whistles. I will say about this movie that when it works, it works. The scares are good when they when you just see them coming down the stairs and you're like, there's no way we're going to get out of here. You know, after the girl explodes, which is, you know, <laughs> horrific. Someone that, you know, who can't really communicate is, is banging is killing themselves, literally like, you know, uh, breaking their own head open. On a, on a piece of glass, you know? And there's two things. A, there's the horror of watching this person go through this. And B, there's the horror of like, I hope that glass holds out. Like if this glass yeah. holds, she dies. But if it breaks, we die, you yeah, know? Right. So yeah, that's a great dilemma. That was, there, was, there, was, there was some, as you say, some really great stuff. It does take, the, the slow burn is very slow. Um, you do get to know the 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 main characters and you do get to understand there's a there's a weirdness there's an awkwardness between the, the the three of them there's sort of like a triangle of affection you know even though it's well a lot of it is apparently unrequited or anything like that or or undeclared so those things are great and then you know they they handed it over to act three guy and he took a powder and you know he came back the next day i had it all figured out 
explosion, <laughs> you know, and then and they were like, oh, look, we're we're at the end of the rope. So let's just film it. And we'll, we'll deal with it in post. I, I, I will tell you this, Hassan, uh, hmm. in leading back to one of your points about you not being a horror guy, quote unquote, the run of the I don't want to call them run of the mill, but the the horror fan in general, the guy who, like myself, who will watch any horror film, doesn't care good or bad, just because they want to see what somebody else is yeah. doing. Um, there is an incredible amount of forgiveness when it comes to not only just overall storytelling, but just in filmmaking in general, I think a lot of stuff like that. And I'm, I'm speaking for myself, Darren may, you may think differently, but I think there's a lot of stuff that will kind of not overlook, but will, will take as is knowing that we love the genre and we love what we're, you know, we love some aspect of what we're seeing. So we'll go a little easier on that. Yeah. Then for example, I will on say justice league, which I'm, I'm paying much tighter attention to details on and things stand out to me that are, I feel are wrong or a waste of time. Whereas Mm -hmm. in, I can watch a horror film that is anyone else in their right mind is going to watch and go, dude seriously you watched this yeah. all the way through and i'll just be like yeah it was all right you know i compare <laughs> that to comedies like some people are like you know what that that comedy i watched didn't all add up or have a great story but man there were some good jokes and comedians will appreciate that overall um it's the same thing here and there's also a bit of forgiveness for low budget there's a lot of, yeah. there's a lot more low budget um horror than there's probably low budget comedy i could be wrong about that but uh uh you know when when somebody's just struggling to get something made you forgive them but at the same time uh, just as you do with any piece of art you particularly if it is firing on all cylinders when it stops you blame the engine you know and you should because (laughs) damn it it was going so good right you know um but but (laughs) but i've seen that with uh, uh major hollywood dramas where i'm oh, like yeah. two-thirds through and i'm like i'm like no don't go there that's not good you know yeah. i love million dollar baby until she's in a coma and then i'm like this is not the movie i wanted to see <laughs> but yeah, it's a- spoiler spoilers for million dollar baby yeah right yeah. <laughs> oh by the way <laughs> but she's fine really in the end. she's fine yeah. in the end. that's she's all- that's a do not translate this it comes at the end of the message <laughs> yeah. she lives the box again yeah yes in she the sequel she comes back in a, yeah. yeah they give her a, they put a chip in her in her spine and she's fine <laughs> everything everything's fine you know I, uh i should tell you that i interviewed tony burgess the the writer of this um i didn't specifically ask him about the ending perhaps the missed opportunity he was very nice anthony very burgess wrote this no Tony Burgess. Tony, he goes by Tony, so there's not confusion. Oh. Um, but okay. um, I was going to get excited all over again. Yeah, no. like, wait, the guy <laughs> wait wrote Clockwork second. Orange? <laughs> <laughs> Holy, hold on. <laughs> I will reassess. Yeah. But no, okay, fine. So, <laughs> there's um, a reason he calls himself Tony Burgess, apparently. <laughs> yes, there is. So, uh, Tony, um, uh, the, the film in Chicago uh, was such a buzz. Um, that a producer named Anderson Lawfer, very cool guy, a uh, big horror fan for Straw Dog Theater, one of the very famous storefront theaters in Chicago, said, um, I'd like to make a stage version of this. 
I'd like Tony to write it. Contacted Tony, wrote it. It has a slightly different ending. I honestly can't remember what the variance was. I only saw it one time. It was a big box office hit on the stage. Um, Ed Anderson and uh, did a great job uh, producing it. And uh, uh, it was very similar to the film. Um, never got remounted, but uh, really good. But I wrote an article for uh, Omnibucket Magazine about the play. And when I did that, Anderson gave me Tony's number. So I talked to Tony about the film and um, we, we did an interview. He was very gracious and very cool. And uh, is honestly like, I'm really surprised that the book became a film and the film became a play and maybe the play will become a musical. You know, I mean, yeah. <laughs> it seems to keep going uh, at the time. He was very uh, uh, humble and flummoxed by it. Um, I didn't really challenge him on, hey, this story point, mm, what's going no, on there? Because I, mean, uh, I was not... so happy he was talking to me. But um, That's but a little rude anyway. Like, hey, what's wrong yeah. with your art? Explain your art to me. <laughs> you know, that's, that's, not how you, that's not how you tackle that di diplomacy well, kind of situation. It's interesting <laughs> because I found, a, uh, I found a, a bit about the film where it said they actually had this conceived that's... as a three-film trilogy but they actually conceived the second and third film first. And this film was born out of the idea for the two follow-up films or his book was conceived as a, as a film or as an idea out of the follow-up story. So like this was setting the table, but obviously the, uh, uh, not exactly a saving grace you know like right. if, you're, if if the reason for making this is these other two better stories <laughs> then maybe make the first story good enough so that we could get to your other two stories i mean Fair enough not to say that the reason it didn't go on was because the story was bad you know um, and there's nothing I, saying that the follow-up stories were better right and i don't actually think here's the thing i don't actually think it's a bad story I, I think it. it's a I think it's a poorly, you know, the, the highs and lows are poorly constructed to the point where it gets it it gets to the six o'clock in in novel parlance and then it just and it just drops off and it stops. It stops progressing. And yeah, then as in my what what has seems to have become my favorite comment it just gets up its ass after that you know it just the doctor just like oh it's this it's in english and if he runs it dives out the window and okay they, you know they they prepared it hey, anyway we've we've all seen it so you, you know i think they could have gone uh, uh with the paranoia like the oh, thing john carpenter's the thing because there is a point where anybody stumbles over any word like i could in this podcast just not know how to pronounce a word and screw it up um you would think oh my god we got to put Darren in a room. He's going to start to kill us all. Yeah. You know, yes. uh, it's a good thing. We're all remote. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I can't I mean, kill you over the, zoom. They just capture the claustrophobia really well. Right. Yes. And they use, I never, I never once while watching the film thought this is a cheap film where they only have one set. I never, I never went there yeah. with it. I understood the gimmick. I didn't care that I didn't see the, the carnage outside. I thought some of the fun, I always think the disembodied voice of a person who's in peril who's outside calling in is, is terrifying. You know, I always, ever since uh, close encounters, I've always thought, you know, whoever's, whoever's the man on the street describing the carnage and you know <laughs> that that guy is not safe. Yeah. That, you know, that's, that's pretty terrifying and they do a good job of it, you know, and then the, you know, the, 
the gimmick that he's not really in a helicopter, he's in a car. And, you yeah. know, and once you, because I had to watch it, I had to rewind it and watch it again, watch the beginning again, because I thought I had missed certain things. Once you know that he's, that that he's not in a helicopter he gives it away so many times in the in this conversation so, yeah. yeah i gotta back out of here or yeah i, I mean <laughs> you I know Ken's not you know. in a helicopter right <laughs> yeah <laughs> you know the voice on a hill the voice and then, you know the, dead, man. that he's a pedophile yeah, yeah. Oh, that's a great <laughs> it's a weird dad weird caveat yeah <laughs> um all the, the voice, all actor, the voice I was going to say, you know, there's three people in the room, then eventually four, and they're all really masterful in, in what they're trying to deliver. But the people on the phone are pretty great, too. Yeah. You know? yeah. Very, very, you really, you are sort of on the edge of your seat trying to hear every word that's being right. reported from the field. Yep. And, and when you uh, hear him catch it and start, you know, I mean, that is, that is appropriately terrifying. That is not, a, that's not good, you know, that this guy is, your eyes and ears, like and now guy, you've lost him. That kid breaks into the silo while he's hiding in the grain silo, and 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 he's just like, "Don't go near him. Stay <laughs> yeah. away from him." Ken. Yeah, I'm gonna go near him. <laughs> yeah, he's saying yeah. something. I want to hear what he's saying. He's like, "No, don't go anywhere near him, Ken." <laughs> By the way, Stephen McCaddy, um, a great performance, but man, what a perfect casting for a radio voice. Yes. I mean, he, yeah. As yeah, yeah, voice. nailed it. He's got the buttery thing going. Yep, absolutely. Uh, and oh, uh, and the thing is, is uh, what I've be actually <laughs> come to know him best from is uh, he is in that series of uh, Robert Parker uh, made-for-TV uh, adaptations with Tom Selleck as uh, the sheriff or the the ex New York policeman who goes to become a. a a sheriff or in this small town in the Northeast. And, uh, and Stephen McHattie is his buddy. Who's an FBI agent who he interacts with through probably half a dozen of these movies. I think they've made seven or eight of them, but um, hmm. that's what I've seen him most recently and regularly. And is these, uh, and they all have uh, some kind of, uh, you know, quippy title. Cause they're all Robert B. Parker. Uh, Jesse's Jesse stone is the name of the, the character. Yeah. So, uh, so yeah, if you can, if you can find it, uh, you run down a copy, I know. Um, and thank you all for watching it. I know it's a, uh, big ask and an obscure film to find yeah. and, uh, man, I, the criticisms are all valid yet at the same time, I really, I really couldn't recommend it enough, particularly if you're looking for something new in the zombie trade. Yeah, exactly. I, I, I would say, I would say, watch it. I would say all the, all the parts in, even in my opinion, all the parts that work really work. You know, so it's just so you unique. Know. It's just such a unique take. It's just something you've you've probably never seen before. And that's, I think, always worth checking out. So that is Pontypool. So um, as Darren said earlier, Bruce McDonald, uh, you know, this is his. What was the other movie you said that he had done that was. Uh, uh, it's got yeah. the name Tracy in it. What is it? The Tracy Fragments or something like that. I like that, that I, title. This movie is broken. I'd like to see that merely based on that title <laughs> mm -hmm. i i think they should have used the tracy fragments for the pontypool title yeah the uh, I, you know i'm a big fan of good titles you can go a long way with a good title you got a crappy ooh. title you're screwed yeah it's the tracy fragments um so uh yeah i um there's nothing better than a title and there's nothing that irritates me more than a title that has been used five times 
Um, right. I, I will just be like, dude, there's IMDb now. There's no need to have the same band name or title anymore. <laughs> <laughs> I, don't, I don't disagree with you. Um, so, uh, yeah, uh, I think that's uh, I think that's probably it. We can probably let uh, <clears throat> Darren uh, go off and go to bed now. So because uh, obviously he's uh, he's a you know, normal human being. Because he's a North, West Coast he, man, I'm West he's, Coast. <laughs> yeah, it's only yeah, it's only uh, ten thirty. Well, hey, I w- I really want to just one more time say thank you guys for having me back. I'm always uh, pleased to be here. Thank you for uh, letting me subject you to Pontypool and the Crazies. You guys are very patient with all these choices, and I I love you guys for it. And oh. keep the good work. And thank you. I, I listen no, I, again. You. I appreciate you coming on short notice, and uh, we'll we'll be more than happy to have you back on. And uh, we won't uh, we won't wait six months before we have you back this time. Well, good. Let's not wait six months or any of more of us get COVID. Absolutely. There you go. Which I think we're I think we're probably going to be in a pretty decent space soon enough. So I'm 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 hoping that's going to be the way. And then uh, uh, I will be. I don't know exactly when, but I probably will be out in L.A. before the end of the year. So I will definitely uh, let you know one way or the other. I would uh, love to uh, hang out. I don't know how often you come out here, but we'll go to someplace Hollywoody. Normally, uh, uh, I am out in L.A. at least three or four times a year uh, for not only events, but uh, my business partner is in Westchester by the airport. So I'm I'm in and out of there fairly frequently. So. Cool. I am downtown, so it's uh, center hub of the wheel. I can go anywhere, anytime. Awesome. Uh, well, thanks again, and uh, <clears throat> thanks to Fesley and Music. Please check out our website at cinementalpod.com for all the poster images we discuss in our Down the Tube segments. And don't forget to download and subscribe to Cinemental wherever you enjoy your podcast. You can always listen to new episodes at cinementalpod.com. Also, you can follow us on also major social media accounts at Sentimental pod for us on Godwin Latham Conger the third Darren Callahan and myself we say thank you so much for listening and as always in the words of our friend and audio viral broadcast engineer Truman Burbank good afternoon good evening and good night